Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. So, for our, our longtime listeners, you may recognize at, or hear rather, at the outset of this episode and future episodes, a new voice with me. Uh, Cam has had to leave the podcast. Uh, nothing unusual or untoward about it. He just had some family commitments that were going to put pressure on him to continue to do this. So, I have a new co-host, very happy to welcome Eric to the podcast, who's going to be my partner in this venture from this point forward. And we're going to kick things off by starting about the NCAA tournament, starting talking rather about the NCAA tournament. Um, Eric, you want to you want to lead into that? And we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's kind of funny because my teenage son, when I told him I was going to be your co-host, he said, "Hey, Rod went into the transfer portal and got some." <laughs> so yeah, very, very accurate. So I don't know, but I don't know if I came from a mid-major. I'm not exactly sure, <laughs> sure which conference we came from, but we'll we're going to launch right into this because I think uh, I, I'm very excited, obviously, to start. And I, you know, hello to all the the fans of the show, and I hope to carry on the tradition that Sam and Cam had started. So we're going to keep the the quality up, and we're going to just have a lot of fun talking about Michigan State basketball. And I think, you know, right now it is basically this is Christmas time for college basketball fans. I mean, the NCAA tournament, everyone gets their brackets, they're crisp, they're unblemished at this point. The games haven't started yet and uh, anything's possible. So unfortunately for Michigan State, we've been very blessed that we've been in the post tournament, you know, for 20 some years now in a row. Unlike when I was a kid or, you know, we were kids where occasionally you're in the tournament. It was a big deal. You know, usually you're in the NIT or... Are you going to make I, it in or are you not? And I, very rarely do we even have a question. In a recent episode, I mentioned that in the entire decade of the 80s, Michigan State made the field twice. So that tells you <laughs> how different. <laughs> now, granted, some of those years, it wasn't yet a 64-team field, but even so. Right. Uh, it was something that was not taken for granted. That's part of the reason that we decided to call this podcast by its title. The final four is not on the schedule because I think, as you mentioned, it's, I believe the streak is 24 years now consecutively with this year that they've made the field and right. would have been 25, but for the COVID cancellation in 2020. Uh, so that's a quarter century of this. And I think a lot of Michigan state fans and particularly Michigan state fans who are much under 40, let's say, have zero appreciation for how hard this stuff is supposed to be. 
You know, Izzo uses yeah, right. that line, the final four is not on the schedule. That's his line, it's a direct quote. And by that, of course, he meant when he said it, and he said it more than once, look, don't assume that we have a, some kind of right to be there because it's a very, very, very difficult thing to accomplish. Um, even getting to the tournament is a very, very difficult thing to accomplish. And doing it for as many years consecutively as Michigan State has, the second longest streak in the country behind only Kansas, uh, who I think is at 32 now. But if NCAA rules had been enforced, would probably looking at zero, <laughs> but that's another matter. Uh, but it, it is remarkable. And, and people really need to take a half step back sometimes and appreciate that fact, I think. Uh, and it's hard for younger people to do. Like you said, your son has grown up knowing nothing but NCAA tournaments NCAA tournament runs, Final Four appearances, Big Ten championships. It's not normal. You and I are old enough to know. It's not how it works everywhere or the vast majority of places. Yeah. I mean, you can just look at Duke, for instance, and there's a, I mean, no one would argue that Coach K is a bad coach, and yet they missed a tournament recently. And I mean, they mostly usually make it, but it just shows you that you have some unfortunate injuries, you have players don't work out or all sorts of things can happen. It's a fairly small roster, right? You have a couple things that don't work out. Next thing you know, you're on the outside looking in. And we were pretty close to that a couple of years ago where I think we probably many people thought there's a real good chance, <laughs> likelihood that Michigan State was going to miss it. And that miraculous sort of finish of the season would beat Michigan and beat Illinois uh, just to kind of squeak into the, the playing game. Right. And, and as you, you make a good point, the fragility of a college basketball season is real. Because of injuries, because of the short range, you know, it's unlike the pros. Somebody gets hurt, you can make a trade, depending upon the time of year. You can hit the waiver wire, you can do something. A college basketball team, the only thing they can do is try to find somebody else on campus who can play to fill a spot. And that doesn't tend to, to usually be much of a difference maker. Uh, so, yeah, that both, let's keep in mind, not only Duke, but Kentucky, arguably the two teams that have gotten the most attention over the last decade nationally each missed the tournament last year. That's how fragile it is. Yeah. Right. And that's, I think very important to remember. So we're going to talk about the brackets. We're going to talk, go through the field and our general impressions. Uh, I think it's important to note that we're not going to talk to the selection committee and get their um, useless information where they tell us why they did or didn't select a couple of teams that were on the bubble uh, that's always the most pointless conversation, I think, every single year. I would like to open with what I think is a really great uh, a tweet that someone sent out, the friendly reminder that make sure you spend the next two days learning every intricacy of all 68 teams, ideally with robust mathematical modeling, so that you can lose your bracket challenge to Jan from accounting, who picked Purdue because her three-year-old son likes trains. So <laughs> with, these are, you know, sports is unpredictable, which is why we love it. Absolutely true. Yes, Uh Oftentimes, you'll find your office pool won by somebody who picked based on uniform colors, nicknames. Uh, it's something where, you know, the old cliche of a little knowledge being a dangerous thing is absolutely correct. Right. I mean, because you can't watch all. The, I mean, we. I feel like I know Michigan State basketball well, but and I know Big Ten teams fairly well because I see them play other games. But I've seen Duke play half a game. You know, I you just know the names, and so it's always a challenge. You yeah. Know, sometimes you just have to go on numbers and stuff. Well, why don't you start with your overall impression of the um, of the brackets? 
the number the number one seeds and number two seeds. Do you think they were the right seeding? Uh, close, close. I, I think the one argument that, and, and I'm certainly not alone in this, that I think I would have is, I don't. I think you could have very easily flipped Tennessee and Duke. I think there was a sure. strong case for Duke to be a three seed and Tennessee to be a two. Why? Well, when it's that close, maybe a conference tournament championship makes a difference. Duke got blown out in theirs by a Virginia Tech team. They had to win it to get into the field. Tennessee won theirs. And, and I think the reality is that this is probably the weakest ACC that I can recall. They, they did manage to get five teams in because Virginia Tech won the, uh, the tournament. Um, otherwise, it would have been four. But I think if you look at the seeding of those teams, it illustrates just how bad a year it's been in the ACC. So you have Duke as a two, but you have North Carolina as an eight. You have Notre Dame as an 11 in the play-in game. You have Virginia Tech as an 11. And I'm forgetting somebody else who was also seated poorly and I'm drawing a blank, but uh, the, the bottom Miami of Ohio, Miami of Florida, Miami of Florida is a 10. Correct. That's the fifth. So that's pretty awful. I mean, people have talked about the big 10 teams and I agree with it, not having, not having great seeds in this thing, but the ACC was a really bad league. And so the fact that Duke won the regular season title and has a lot of wins, I don't know how much it really means. So I probably would have flipped Tennessee and, and Duke, but that's my only gripe. I don't have a complaint with any of the ones. I think Baylor would have lost out to Kentucky for one seed if Kentucky had won the SEC tournament, but they didn't. So instead, Kentucky got a two in Baylor's region. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I do think Baylor, because they've got some injury problems, is a vulnerable one to be sure. But I also think that they did enough to earn it. And then the two seeds, Kentucky obviously was legitimate. I already mentioned Duke. Um, Auburn, I think, is vulnerable, but I, I think they did enough to earn it too. And Villanova, I guess. <laughs> I don't have any strong yeah. – I don't think this is a great Villanova team either. And, and I think all the things I'm saying illustrate my overarching feeling about this field and, and this year. I don't think we have a great team. I mean, Gonzaga looks really good. Arizona looks good. Those would be the two that have probably been the most impressive in my mind. But even those teams – I don't think there's anybody that's on the same level as Gonzaga and Baylor were last year. You know, I don't know how you feel about yeah, it, but that's, right. that's my impression. And so what that means is this should be wide open. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think there's a, it may be a, not a dominant team that's going to take over, but it may just be a couple of hot teams that just sort of launch into a good run. And you know, that's, the, you, I mean, in some ways you just need to win six games, yeah. but unfortunately you have to win six. <laughs> so that's yeah. what makes it challenging too. Yeah, and it's it, it. Everybody's flawed. We saw that in the Big Ten. You know, if you look at and and this gets to what I was mentioning a moment ago about Big Ten teams, maybe not certainly not being seeded as highly as they were last year. The top seeds are Purdue and Wisconsin, each with a three, and I have no argument with that. 
because I think those teams were very flawed. Illinois is a four. I have no argument with that. Every time one of those top tier teams in the Big Ten started to look like maybe they were ready to put it together and pull away a bit from the pack, they'd lose. And sometimes it was a, a loss that was kind of inexplicable. Um, so I, I think that you're talking about a field full of flawed teams, which means that I would agree with you that really what it's going to come down to is who gets hot at the right time and can sustain it for three weekends. And that may or may not be a one or a two seed. This is a, this is a classic year where we could, we could absolutely have a champion that comes out of relatively nowhere. Sure. Yeah. You could see a, even a playing team, right? Like you said last year, sure. last year, sure. um, pull something out. Um, so I guess, you know, the, the next big story, of course, is there are nine Big Ten teams out of 14 that made it in. I think uh, two of them are in the playing games. And since we are not an NCA sponsored show, we can say play in. It's not the first right. four. They are actually playing. Call it what it is. Playing games. Call it what it is. Let's be honest. Right? For- it's funny, like well, a traditionalist with 64 teams, like, of course, that's not like it's been like that forever. But um, so the, the nine teams, the Big Ten, are. do you think they're all? Seated, you said you went through a number of them. You thought they're seated appropriately. I kind of feel even Michigan State as a seven is pretty well, uh, pretty appropriately yeah. seated. The ones who made the play-in games, um, you know, Michigan. Some people t- uh, quibble whether Michigan should have been a play-in as opposed to Rutgers. I mean, what do you think about the Rutgers story? I guess this year. You know, here's the thing about Rutgers. If you focus on what they did in conference play, you could feel that they got jobbed a little bit. Not only are they in a play-in game. Um, they're against uh, they're they're matched up against Notre Dame. Um, that's a team they ought to beat. In my, in my view, I don't think Notre Dame's very good, but I think you can't just focus on that with Rutgers. Rutgers ended the season, I believe, at number seventy three in the net. That is the lowest rated team in the net ever to make the tournament field. Now I say ever, the net's been used for, I think, three years. So we don't have a, not very um, long. It was yeah. the RPI before that, but uh, and and you can go too far with the net, as I've seen a couple of national uh, media types point out. You do have to keep in mind that the primary purpose of the net is in sorting for sorting purposes. So you know what a quad one win is versus a quad two, et cetera. It shouldn't it shouldn't necessarily be taken as a literal. Um, evaluator of the strength of a team but nevertheless Rutgers at 73 look I'll freely admit in the preview we did before the Rutgers game I said I saw no chance they would make the field because they were outside (laughs) the top 100 and they had a slew of tough games left but who knew they were going to win the majority of them (laughs) they did the big 10 this year right and that was a big 10 exactly and I and I was at the I was at the tournament and I tell you what, it was the same way there too. You didn't know no lead was safe. No team was invincible. I think it was, uh, it was definitely a challenging season for everybody. And to your point, I think everyone's a little flawed. There's not a dominant obvious pick in the ones we thought were obvious like Purdue. They showed their deficiencies that came up and bit them a couple of times with on defensive end for sure. All right. Well, let's, let's go into the, some of the brackets here and kind of get overall impressions. Again, if you are a gambling person, you're welcome to use these picks. Uh, it's your money, so you know it's up to you. So let's start. With, let's start in the West because I 
I don't know which uh, how your bracket is in front of you, but it seems like the West I always put the yeah. top corner. So we got Gonzaga as a top seed, and the the bottom is Duke. And of course, this also includes our dear Michigan State Spartans. So what's your impression here? What do you kind of see people, any interesting storylines or things coming out of this region? Well, I, I start with Gonzaga as the one and clearly the favorite here. Uh, even though, again, I don't think they're they're as good as they were last season. There's still a lot of talent that late in the year, they actually emerged to become the top rated offense. They finally uh, vaulted Purdue to get into that spot per Ken Pomeroy's uh, system. It's a very, very good offensive team. I don't think they're quite as good in the backcourt as they were last year. Their front court is potentially great in any game because you have Drew Timmy, who's a veteran, has been outstanding his whole career. And then you have the freak, Chet Holmgren, the 7-1 freshman who shoots 40% plus from three. He's an elite shot blocker. He can actually take people off the dribble. I don't know how many listeners remember, but when Chet Holmgren was in high school, there was a, a video that surfaced online from a camp where he he crossed over Steph Curry. He used Steph Curry's move <laughs> on him at seven foot one. So he's he gives them an element they didn't have last year. But on the flip side, last year's team had Jalen Suggs at the point who was outstanding. And while they, yeah. they have good guard play this year, they don't have anybody at that level. And there were games, even besides the game that Jalen Suggs won at the buzzer uh, against UCLA, um, there are games in the NCAA tournament normally that you're going to need your guards to go out and win for you. That's usually how it goes. Guard play tends to rule. And so that's why I'm not quite convinced on Gonzaga as any kind of overwhelming favorite. If people want to talk about them as they were, the overall number one seed, all of that stuff, that's legitimate but I don't think they're overwhelming. When I look at their half of the bracket, honestly, the only team that I could see maybe giving them a scare potentially is the five seed Connecticut. You've got Arkansas at the four and they had a great close to the season in the sec, but I'm not sold on Arkansas. I think Connecticut will play them and beat them in the round of 32 and Michigan state fans. Remember what UConn looked like uh, from the Bahamas in November when Michigan State yeah, right. really won a game that I think they kind of got away with it. <laughs> if you remember, yeah. Danny Hurley lost his mind and got a technical late, which was really dumb. Uh, should never happen. That was big. And Michigan State just made some plays late to pull that one out. But I was really impressed with UConn. UConn has some size. They're tough. They're athletic. And they're deep enough that I think they could give Gonzaga potentially a scare in a Sweet 16 game. I, I, Gonzaga is obviously going to roll Georgia State in their opener. And then the, the second round matchup is against the winner of Boise State and Memphis. I, I would be kind of. Imani Batesless. Imani Batesless. Yeah. Memphis, right? Probably to their betterment, <laughs> to be honest. They're gone, but it's still, it would be an interesting game just because I think that would be Gonzaga versus the anti Gonzaga in some ways. Memphis is just offensively a mess, not a disciplined team at all. Whereas Gonzaga is always ultra efficient while still being very, very talented. I don't think Memphis or Boise state can give them a test. So to me, it's probably a pretty smooth path for Gonzaga into the elite eight. 
with the possible exception of UConn, I think might have enough horses to give them a game. Yeah. Well, let's go to, I guess let's go to the bottom and I mean, we're, well, obviously Michigan state's down there with the Davidson game. We'll talk about that later and get into that in detail in the next episode. Uh, we talk about the uh, game analysis, but you know, we've got Texas tech, you've got Duke and uh, Alabama, I suppose. Are there. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me, it looks like a field that's not, you know, if you want it, if you, if Michigan state slappy and you think, Hey, they've got a chance of getting out of that part. You could, it's not, I think unreasonable to imagine they could make it to the elite eight and maybe face a Gonzaga. I mean, their teams I think are all vulnerable and have weaknesses. I agree. I agree that that's why I was not unhappy in the slightest with Michigan state's draw. I saw a lot of people seem to be upset that they were drawn with Duke, but you know, as I got done saying, I'm not all that sold on Duke. Uh, and, and so that didn't bother me. And it was also very, very predictable. Anyone who wants to pretend that the NCAA tournament doesn't massage these matchups is out of their mind. They very clearly wanted that second round matchup, not necessarily Duke against Michigan State, but the way things sorted out, you're looking at the seven seed, you know, Duke's going to be a two. Uh, okay, Michigan State is the obvious marquee matchup there. Izzo against K. That's what they want to drive eyeballs, drive interest, drive storylines, all of that stuff. Um, I don't think the foster lawyer element was on anybody's mind in matching up Michigan State and Davison. It, it just happens to be that way for us because we know foster lawyer. But the MSU Duke potential matchup, I absolutely believe they they made sure happened. What was interesting about that, too, was I don't know if you caught this. Joe Lenardi had this almost this exact four team pop. Yes. Right. On Saturday. Uh, The only difference was the original one I saw had Delaware against Duke rather than Cal State Fullerton. But the other three were seated and paired up exactly the way they are. So it's pretty clear that Mr. Lenardi has a direct line. If you didn't believe that before. You know it now. He's got a pretty direct line into that committee room. Uh, he had that. Yeah, and his his uh, predictions seem closer, at least as far as seating and what teams are in and out, than most. Like uh, Jerry Palm is another one that's used frequently, and his is just wildly yes. wrong. I think. I don't know oh, he had he had Michigan fans losing their minds because up until an hour yeah. before the announcement of the brackets, he had Michigan out of the field, which was always unrealistic. I thought there was a legitimate chance they'd be in the play-in game. And I think there was an argument for that, but, you know, they, it didn't work out that way. They just got a straight 11 seed. Uh, but Jerry Palm, yeah, the, the main reason he gets that much attention is because for whatever reason, CBS has opted to use him as an expert. And uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure why, because, he, as you said, he's wildly wrong often. He's not particularly telegenic. No offense, but no. I mean... It's a bad hair. Yeah. He's got yeah. bad hair. And and so I, I'm not sure what the attraction is. And there are many, 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 many people who do a better job year after year after year with this stuff than, than Palm does. So I'm not quite sure why CBS decides to do that. But regardless, uh, so looking at this thing, if if I were picking and I take my Spartan heart out of it, I would I would probably lean toward Texas Tech being the best pick to get out of this side. I think that Mark Adams, who's in his first year running the program after Chris Beard took the Texas job, Mark Adams was an assistant under Beard. He is considered to be the architect of their defense, which 
I think most people listening to this podcast will remember very, very vividly and unfortunately from the 2019 Final Four where they really did give Cassius Winston and the rest of MSU's guards a tough time. Um, very effective stuff. And he's had a quietly under the radar nationally. He's had a great year. They're a three seed. And if you look at the way they've played, you look at their resume, they absolutely earned it. Um, so I, they'd be my pick. As I said, I'm not wild about Duke, regardless of whether they get past Michigan state or Davidson. Uh, I think it probably ends at sweet 16 for them. And I, I will say one that would be very interesting to me if Rutgers can beat Notre Dame, as I suspect they will in that first in the play-in game, they'll play Alabama. And that would be a hell of a contrast in styles because you'd have Steve Peichel, who we know from being in the Big Ten, uh, runs – he doesn't want to run. He runs a, a slow-paced team that checks usually at a pretty high level. They got back to that as the season went along. They tend to rebound well. They're physical against a Nate Oates coach team in Alabama that their whole thing is just letting threes fly and playing loose. And they've been very questionable defensively for a lot. Remember Alabama in November was in the top five. They ended up a six seed for a good reason. Uh, I do think it would be a fascinating matchup to watch, and I'm pretty sure I'd give Rutgers a good shot at the upset there. So we could have a Rutgers uh, Texas Tech um, second round <laughs> slugfest. Yeah, but I, but again, I, I if I had to pick, I'd pick Texas Tech to come out of there. And then I think if, if it is a Texas Tech Gonzaga regional final, you know Texas Tech has got athletes and they defend. And I could see them giving Gonzaga's offense some trouble, but in the end, it's hard to pick against Gonzaga in that matchup. And so then if we go to, let's go to the South and that's where Arizona is the number one seed. We have Arizona and Villanova as the top two seeds, big 10 teams of note. We had Illinois at four, Michigan at 11 and Ohio state at seven. So this is, I mean, I guess in some respects you have big 10 teams everywhere, but you've got three of them in this region. Yeah, uh, loaded with Big Ten teams and and uh, some fan bases that are either just angry at the selection committee or <laughs> angry at some talking heads. The Illinois fan base was set on fire by Seth Davis on the uh, selection show picking Chattanooga as an upset special over the Illini in the first round. Um, and then I think you know, Michigan doesn't have much to complain about because they stayed out of the play-in games, but Colorado state is, I think a tough draw for them. They they've, they've got a big man who's going to be a very difficult cover for Hunter Dickinson uh, because he can stretch the floor. And to me, that's Michigan's, that's the biggest kryptonite Michigan has. If you've got a way to punish Hunter Dickinson for the fact that he can't move defensively, that's a big problem. And I think Colorado state may be able to do that. And then I think Ohio State got the worst of all the seven-seed draws with Drew Valentine and the Ramblers from Loyola of Chicago. I think Loyola is going to put them in a torture chamber. I really do. That's that's a team not just filled with seniors, but fifth-year seniors, guys who came back from that Sweet 16 team of a year ago, and they're so good defensively. Again, Michigan State fans saw that team 
in November in the Bahamas, that's another team that Michigan State was very fortunate to beat on that day. I mean, Loyola could have won that game very easily. So I, I think that's a problem for Ohio State. Looking at the region in general, Arizona, very, very good season, kind of surprised people a bit uh, because there weren't expectations it would come together this quickly. But they're coached by Tommy Lloyd in his first year, former assistant for Mark Few, and the guy who really built Gonzaga's longstanding foreign player pipeline. So he's an interesting coach with an interesting non-conventional background, but he's done a great job with Arizona. They're much more fun to watch than they were during the Sean Miller years. You know, Sean Miller uh, was a guy who recruited well, and he had a good number of pros come through the program there. You know, he's buying some of them, as we know now. But, um, yeah, right. but, but the funny thing about it is, I think the impression was that Arizona was fun. But if you looked at the way they played, it was a dour brand of basketball. It really was. They were slow-paced generally. They didn't run very much. I think he didn't utilize the athletes that he generally had at his disposal very well, whereas Arizona this year is a more entertaining team to watch. They do have some injury problems, though, so that's something to watch for. Yet, I look at their half of the bracket. Houston has played well, but they lost a couple starters months ago. They still managed to hang in there and win the American, but I don't know that I'd give them much of a chance against Arizona. And, you know, Illinois is sitting there. If Illinois can avoid the Seth Davis upset special, I think they could beat Houston. If they got into the Sweet 16 against Arizona, there would be a rematch of a regular season game where Arizona went into Champaign and beat them in a competitive game, but still one on the road. Um, yeah. I like Arizona to get out of that half. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, it definitely looks like a kind of region where you're going to have the top seeds pulling through. I mean, although I guess Villanova, they're, they're, I think there was like almost 20 to 20 at halftime or less than, I think each team had less than 18 in the championship game for the Big East. Yeah. It was, which is unusual for a Villanova team. You usually expect them to have a lot higher scoring and yes. uh, fast to pace. Totally agreed. If you think about those championship teams and, and even some teams before that, uh, the final four team in 2009 that Jay Wright had there. Uh, the same year Michigan State was uh, was in the Final Four at, at Ford Field. Uh, we think about Villanova, and the first thing we generally think about is offensive efficiency. You know, and I agree with you. This team, I've just never been sold on them. I, I've, I've kept waiting for them to look like the Villanova that we expect. And instead, every time I watch them, I see flaws. I see, um, I see inconsistency at both ends of the floor, uh, maybe not quite as much toughness as they've their better teams have typically had, in my opinion. So I, I'm with you there, but you look at that half, somebody, I can't remember who it was, some high-profile uh, national media person picked Colorado State to actually win this region and get to the Final Four. Wow. And they did have a very good year. That, it's a team, you know, very few people know nationally, but uh, they're really good in the Mountain West. Uh, they've got some players. I, I like their coach, this guy, Nico Medved. He was, I was kind of surprised he didn't get much more traction for the Minnesota job last year. Well, I did a, I remember I did a post on Spartan Mag board where I talked about guys and what was amazing for that job were the number of mid-major coaches 
who had had some success with Minnesota roots. There were like at least three or four guys who either maybe five who had either connections to the university of Minnesota or Minnesota natives. And he's one. They ended up going with Ben Johnson who had played there was an assistant at Xavier. No problem with that. I actually thought Ben Johnson did a good job this year. He may well be a great choice, but uh, Nico Medved is a hell of a coach and he's a, a guy to watch for as soon as this spring with the number of high major jobs that are open and there will be more before we're done. He might be a guy to watch in terms of moving up out of this half of the region. I'm going to, I'm going to go with Tennessee, the, another three seed, just like Texas tech and the other region. I think, you know, Rick Barnes seems maybe to have gotten past his, he had a lot of troubles in the NCAA tournament during a, a long run at Texas. A yeah. lot of years where he disappointed, but it, it feels to me like he's got a new lease on life at Tennessee. And I like that team. You know, they were good in a good SEC. They're long on the perimeter. They have some physicality to them. They have some athleticism. They've got some NBA talent. They've, uh, they've got a kid, Kennedy Chandler, a point guard who played with Jade Nakins last year at Sunrise Christian in Missouri and a very, very good player. So a future NBA player. Um, so I, I think I would pick Tennessee. And if it's a Tennessee and Arizona elite eight, boy, that one's a toss up. I mean, I'd probably be inclined to go with Arizona, but not by a lot. So this might be Rick yeah. Barnes year. Well, I mean, it's funny how these, these teams will shed these coaches like Rick Barnes and then they find themselves kind of the wasteland for a long time. And right. I, but it's always a risk. It, I guess we'll talk about this a little bit with uh, the next episode with Davidson. I think it's, there's some good examples and some lessons to be learned with, um, you know, Izzo and and McKillop, but let's go to the East then where we have top seed Baylor and uh, number two seed Kentucky. We also have Purdue at the three uh, and North Carolina is a surprising eight seed. That's where you also have the uh, UCLA is sitting as well. Yeah. And, and that's the dangerous one. If, If we look at the top half of that bracket, Baylor's had a really good year to lose the guys that they lost and still maintain a level of a high level of play. I mean, I will admit I was a critic of Scott Drew and Scott Drew's been there forever now, which is shocking to me. I think he's been there. This might be like his 17th or 18th year. When I looked at it earlier this season, I was shocked by that. But for years and years and years, his team's, seem to generally underachieve. And then in the last few years, he really seems to have turned a corner. And ironically, it's been for the most part driven by guys who were not McDonald's All-Americans. Earlier in his career, he was pulling in some fairly highly regarded recruits. And he had some good teams, but never any great ones. The last two years, he really seems to have gotten that formula right. And, and for him to bounce back losing all those guards who were so instrumental to their national title last year and and bring in largely a new group and say, yeah, we're, we're pretty much the same as we were last year, even though the name changed. <laughs> That's remarkable. The downside is they've got some serious injury problems. They're not as good as they were two months ago because of that. And so I, I don't see them getting out of this region. I think they'll win their first game and they'll beat either North Carolina or Marquette. Those are two kind of eh teams uh, in my view. But uh, you mentioned UCLA. UCLA sitting there as a four 
is really dangerous in a Sweet 16 game. Um, we we saw they, a lot. Of- yeah, they'd always been such an underachieving team, you know, in the past, and then recently they've they've definitely picked it up. And well, I mean, obviously <laughs> last yeah. year, uh, but of course, new coach, and so I think that's an element of toughness. Maybe they just UCLA teams haven't had for a number of years. I think I think that's a very very good point, and I would agree with it. I, I've been surprised. I thought you know Mick Cronin was not not only not first, he probably wasn't seventh or eighth on their list. They got turned down yeah. by a lot of people. And I think it, it just to go on a, on a tangent for a moment, that coaching search and some others lately at major programs should really make it clear to Michigan state fans, what's likely to happen whenever Tom Ezzo decides to retire, because it's very difficult to get established guys to move for a variety of reasons. They're usually much better compensated everywhere than they used to be. There's more equity around the, the sport in that way. And right. unless you got a problem with your AD or your, or your president, there, there's not much motivation to jump. Uh, Izzo's going to name his own successor anyway, and it's going to be somebody he has experience with. Uh, we know that. But the UCLA experience was illustrative of what happens when you don't have that option and yet, you know, you fired somebody and yet all the names of people that you think might be interested in your job aren't. But it ended up working because Mick Cronin has brought an element of toughness into that program that I think you're right. They certainly didn't have under Steve Alford. They were arguably one of the softest programs in America under Alford. Yeah. Well, and speaking of Steve Alford and uh, it reminds me of Indiana, which is right above them in that region as well. And new coach Mike Shrewsbury and talk about a, a program that has never recovered from Bobby Knight leaving. Right. I mean, I think yeah. they had brief, brief um, instances, I guess, of success with Tom Crean, but very brief with yeah. the generational players. But uh, it definitely shows you the, the risk for even being a, a technically a blue blood, right. Yeah. That, that you are susceptible just like, you know, an injury can, can hurt you. And uh, you know, I, I was at the tournament and it was what Indiana pulled off was very impressive. And I don't know if that's coaching, if it's just happened, they just got hot or something, but that's a team that I watch, and I thought, I don't know what these team guys are any good at. Yet they were good enough to win a bunch of games, and so they're just really tough. And so I don't, I don't know if they, I don't know that they could beat St. Mary's. I don't know that they could win their opening game against Wyoming. But they, they may give some teams some trouble if they continue their momentum they had picked up this last. Well, weekend. I think the thing with Indiana is the one thing they've done well this year, and frankly, they've done pretty well even under Archie Miller, is they can defend. They got better at that area yeah. this year. Mike Woodson's done a nice job with them. But uh, they can absolutely defend on the offensive end. Who it's messy because their their guard play is so erratic. You look at somebody like Xavier Johnson, and he's a classic example of feast or famine. He can get you a spectacular looking bucket. He can hit a three, and you and make a make a great play for somebody else via the pass, and make you think, okay, this guy's legit. And then in the next sequence, he'll throw the ball into the fifth row. He'll make a terrible decision. He'll take a forced shot. Just their guard play has been really, really suspect. They're also a terrible jump shooting team. And yes, they, they are that. To sure. make matters even worse, the one strength they have offensively, which is post play with Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson, they don't feed those guys. They don't. Those guys don't touch the ball nearly enough. So that's been a limitation. But you're right; they were really good in the big 10 tournament and perhaps they've found something that can translate into, into this field. But 
in looking at that half of the bracket, I, I'm inclined to say That's, UCLA yeah. comes through it. Yeah, I think, and I think I said Shrewsbury. I met Rod Woodson. Yeah, I, I knew who you were. Talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then I think you know the, the great hope for the Big Ten coming into the season and throughout at least the non-conference schedule was absolutely Purdue, right? They looked yeah. like they were world beaters, and boy, do they struggle. And I think, you know, you've highlighted the show quite a bit this season. It's just on the defensive end, they yep. really get beaten down. They, they have, they can punish you inside and they can just, they can give it it all away, <laughs> which, you know, if you can explore and get around Edie, who's just a big, you know, Sequoia, if you get around him, then you've, you get two points easy, easily every time or get on ball screens. Uh, so, I mean, you know, they're a three seed they're up against Kentucky, which I think is no one would say is super dominant team in the SEC right now. I think there's opportunity to get to get out of this spot for Purdue, but there's also obviously dangers because we've seen them this year. We've seen them this year. The, the, absolutely, uh, yeah. You know, I think that I think that a Purdue Kentucky Sweet Sixteen game would be really entertaining. And you know, the one thing Kentucky has generally done under John Calipari and this team, I think, is an example of that as well. Is they can defend, and if you figure that they're good enough to just take a little bit out of that high octane Purdue offense, that that's probably enough because we, we can't count on Purdue checking. Purdue's been the weirdest team in the country to me. Be and I, and I still think with people looking at them as a final four candidate, what I think they're doing is sort of uh, an example of willful dissonance where yes. they're assuming <laughs> that it's the normal Purdue that we're used to seeing, and it's not. They can't guard anybody. You saw that in the Big Ten Championship game against Iowa. When they needed stops, they just could not get stops. And it's been that way all year. And so I have a hard time picking. I, I've said it on the podcast probably too often for people's taste, but if you just looked at the profile and you didn't see the name attached to it, you'd think it was a Fran McCaffrey team. And nobody picks the Fran McCaffrey team to go to the final four. Right. So, yeah. Um, although some may be tempted to do it this year with their run, but um, I won't be among them for that same reason, but I, I just can't pick Purdue to get past Kentucky. Now, if, if that matchup happens now, I do think, um, well, looking at that first round Purdue matchup, it's interesting. Uh, there's a poster on the Spartan mag board, toxic Avenger, whose son plays for Yale. And I've seen his son play oh, wow. AAU. He doesn't see a lot of time yet. He's a young player. He's a freshman. Um, but so he's got he's definitely got a rooting interest in this one. I was glad to see them <laughs> get through against Princeton in the Ivy League final. Uh, but I think Purdue gets past them. And then the winner of Texas and Virginia Tech, I think Purdue can get past that. So I like Purdue's odds to get to the Sweet 16, but the, the maybe the maybe the best thing Purdue could hope for is if Murray State gets past San Francisco, which is no done deal. San Francisco's good, and then can upset Kentucky, and it's a Purdue Murray State Sweet Sixteen matchup. That might be Purdue's best bet because I don't think they beat Kentucky, but they probably beat anybody else among those four teams. Murray State's really interesting. They're thirty and two. Um, very, very good offensive team, athletic. And if they do get Kentucky in a, in a round of 30, uh, 32 matchup, they are in state 
they're both Kentucky-based schools who have never played, never in history. Right. It, it's only t- the only Kentucky team that Kentucky doesn't have a winning record against. Right, because they haven't played them. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. So not only does Murray State have talent, but you would assume massive, massive amounts of motivation in that game, more so than, than normal. So that would be an interesting one for Kentucky, but I, I would still be inclined to pick the Wildcats. And I think I think I'm probably feeling a Kentucky UCLA Elite Eight. And boy, that would be a hell of a game. Uh probably close to a toss-up in my mind. Uh but if I had a gun to my head, I'd probably go with Kentucky. I, I feel like uh Tishwebe, the big kid, is maybe the difference maker. I'm not imagining. I'm not misremembering, right? It was Popeye Jones in the 15 seed, Murray State playing Steve Smith and almost winning. It went overtime. That was seed. That was you know that was obvious. Oh six. Yeah, yeah. we never had a 16 over a one until a few years ago with Virginia losing, but uh, that was probably the closest call in another 16 one 16 game that I can remember. It was horrible. Michigan State had had a dream season. That was my senior year of college. They had a dream season, first round, and Popeye Jones and Murray State take them to overtime. Yeah. And, and of course, <laughs> it's also, uh, I think I'm remembering correctly, Murray State is a school that produced John Moran. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah a couple years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, they're, they're, uh, they're, have gotten better in the sense they're no longer, you know, the 16 line. They've, right. the conference well, they is better talent. They could than be. I mean, 30 and two really good metrics. I mean, they had done enough and it is a real tribute to them, a school at their level. I think they're still in the Ohio Valley uh, to be a seven seed. That's a sign of respect. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's go to the final region, which to me, it's always bothered me that it's East, West, South, and then Midwest instead of North, but we're going to go to the Midwest uh, where we have the one seed is Kansas, uh, who I think is probably the one seed in the Midwest Half the time, I'm not sure, sure, but uh, yeah. second seed is Auburn, and then we have the three is Wisconsin, and then we got the intriguing Iowa team, the Hawkeyes at number five. All right, now I, I want to give listeners um, a, a heads up. <laughs> you you had told me that you are uh, a an Iowa med school alum, correct? Correct, and my wife grew up in Iowa, and so we have so. When you're, I was there for eight years in Iowa City, and you can't help but become a huge Iowa fan because, coming from Michigan, I don't know. Does anyone really hate Iowa? I do. It, it seems like a. I do. I'll, oh, I'll you give do. you my reason. Are you from like Illinois no, no, or no, something? No, no, no. I'll give you my reason. It's entirely personal. I may have mentioned this on the podcast. Before. Oh, good. Okay. When I was in high school, because I grew up in the Lansing area, our high school athletic department to raise money. Uh, got a bunch of kids together, athletes from the school, and we sold Cokes at Spartan Stadium. And, you know, the, the, our high school got to keep a certain amount of the money that was made, et cetera. It's a cold, horrible day. Steps were a little icy. Maybe salting wasn't as good as it as it is now. This would have been, <laughs> um, I think this would have been 1984. And Iowa was in town. And so I was dealing with, you know, one of those huge trays of Cokes, carrying them up and down the upper deck at Spartan Stadium, incredibly steep, 
great. Yeah, I used to sit up, sit not up there. great weather <laughs> conditions, and there was a there was a section of Iowa fans up there, and you know the normal thing in a stadium like that when somebody in the middle of the row orders a drink is you pass it down, right? Yeah, and pass back I the money. Had Iowa sure. fans refusing on the aisle refusing to pass it down. I'd never, I'd never experienced anything. I'm 16 years old. So I'm not quite at the point I would be now, which would be to say, asshole, let's be a functioning human being. But it just absolutely set me on a course to dislike Iowa forever. I also find that their fan base is um, incredibly whiny. But that's, I, I realize I'm coming at it from a perspective of disliking them for years anyway. So I might be the one guy who, who dislikes you might be the one guy. Well, and I would, I would, as being in Iowa City for eight years, uh, you know, I saw the Owen, I think they're Owen 11, Owen 12, this first year of Kirk Ferentz. Yeah. And uh, at some point we can get into that story. It's actually really a funny story about Kirk Ferentz because I was there when Alford and Ferentz were both hired as coaches at the same right. year and tons of excitement for Alford. Zero for friends, right? right? So, um, but I would say that Iowa fans in general are sort of delusional is a little strong, but I think they are, they're very, very confident or very hopeful. I think they're very, very hopeful that this is going to be the year that they, you know, go 11 and 0 and they're going to make the orange bowl or this Rose bowl or whatever it is. And so, but you know, you got nothing else in Iowa, right? There's no other protein. I, I do think Iowa football fans there's some justification for optimism because, you know, they had all those years under Hayden Fry, which, you know, they were an upper tier big 10 team for the most part. And then Ferentz for whatever you want to say about him, he's boring, you know, all that stuff. The guy generally wins. I mean, if you look at that half of the big 10, who's been better over the last 20 years, arguably Wisconsin. And that would be it. Right. Yep. That's for sure. Not Nebraska, right. That'd be your next, choice but they're obviously no. not so yeah so i understand their football fans having some level of confidence the basketball program you know sent it's a football school yeah. it's a football school rod i'll tell you i you know people liked basketball but even with offered you could get into those games it was, it was hard his first year but i mean before that you could you know it was like a cavern it, it is a really cool if everyone anyone ever has a chance to go to a basketball game there it is the coolest arena because you it's you walk in at street level and just go down into it. And it's right. like the entire superstructure is actually inside the arena. So like all the beams and stuff. And it's very, it's very strange. So, I, I remember it's a really cool uh, arena. for years, Tim Stout, who those of you who have been in the Lansing area at all over the course of your lives will know the Dean, the quote unquote Dean of mid Michigan sports. Uh, he would rail about the decision that Iowa made to build it that way. They thought it was stupid because one, They'd have a harder time differentiating on prices if you don't have an upper deck and a lower deck. But uh, yeah, he was just a big, big negative on that. But I, I, I've noticed that over the years. I've never been to a game there. It, it is all one section that way. And as you say, from street level down, kind of the way that um, Michigan's football stadium is on a much smaller scale. Exactly. Right. Yeah. There's no upper deck. Yeah. It's, and I remember uh, being tortured by some friends of mine in med school who would run stairs and, oh my, <laughs> I, I realized why I never was an athlete. So uh, let's talk about the region, yeah. <laughs> get talking about the region a little bit here. So we got uh, Kansas, uh, it's a one and again, Iowa, Wisconsin, Auburn, 
in provinces of four, which I have to admit, I don't know a whole lot. Yeah, about I think I've that really that's where I wonder about Iowa. I think Iowa probably will get past Richmond. Ha- having seen Richmond uh, in the A-10 championship game, I happened to watch it. Uh, their win over Davidson, and I'm glad I did. Um, I don't know that I believe Richmond has any answer for uh, Keegan Murray. And and really the way I was shooting it as a team is something else. It's not even just all Keegan Murray. It's all the guy, you know, like uh, Bohannon had been kind of shaky through some of this season. He seems to have found his shot. Um, the other Murray, Chris, is an effective shooter. I think by percentage, yep. uh, better than his brother. He doesn't take as many. I uh, don't play as many minutes, but he's, he's a good shooter. Um, they've got a freshman uh, Sanford. That's a that's, Sanford, yeah. Nathan Sanford. Yeah. He's, he's probably 40% is my guess. He, yeah. A he's, lot of, even, I, you know, um, and, and the, the younger McCaffrey brother has really started to emerge as an all around scorer. So they've got a lot of weapons. Um, I think enough to get past Richmond, but I do think, well, there's two ways it can go. If South Dakota state can upset Providence in a four thirteen matchup, South Dakota State is uh, an extremely entertaining team to watch. They play high-tempo offensive basketball, and a matchup with Iowa would be crazy. It might be first to 90. Um, I don't think that's what's going to happen, though. I think Providence will get by, and and I do wonder. Iowa, to me, under Fran McCaffrey, uh, has generally been a team that I wouldn't pick if they were playing against somebody who was really gritty and tough, and that is Providence's MO, this team. Ed Cooley's done a great job pulling that team together. Uh, One of their best players is a guy that's probably familiar to fans of this podcast or listeners of this podcast, um, Al Durham, who was at Indiana for four years. He opted to transfer to Providence, and he's been a big addition for them. Uh, IU could have used him this year, to be honest. Because uh, he shot well, but I think the Providence Iowa matchup in the second round could be a really fun one, just because of the contrast and style of play. And then you've got, you know, Kansas sitting there as the one. I don't think this is a great mm-hmm. Kansas team. It's a it's a good one, but I don't I don't have a I, I've never trusted Remy Martin as a point guard, and so when he's your point guard and it's NCAA tournament time, and guards generally dictate who wins. I, I don't feel great about Kansas, but I can't I can't shake the, uh, the reality that they've won a lot of games in a tough league. Their resume yeah. definitely comports with being a one seed. I just – I don't love Remy Martin, and their interior guys maybe haven't been as good as people expected, but I would still be inclined to, to pick them to get through there. Now, the bottom half of that bracket, I have been, as listeners know, a a skeptic of Wisconsin all year long, and I think with some justification. Yeah, who isn't? Yeah. I I don't think anyone believes in them. Well, you know who's not? The guys who seeded this thing, put this thing together. (laughs) They got played. Well, they won games, right? That's a tricky thing. They're 15 and 5 in the Big Ten. Yeah, which, you know, but, but again, that was a team that had... I told Jack Ebling, I've been doing, some of our listeners probably realize, I've been doing some appearances on Jack Ebling's radio show this year and heading into the Big Ten, uh, down the stretch in the Big Ten, heading into the last week, I had said to him, 
if Wisconsin wins this thing outright, which they were poised to do, it will shatter everything I thought I believed about basketball <laughs> because they just are not an impressive team. They've got one truly great player, undoubtedly, unquestionably, in Davis. But beyond that, when, when your second and third guys are Brad Davidson and Tyler Wall, there, there's a pretty serious cap, in my opinion, as to how good you really are. And, and it's just not, you know, even Wisconsin teams of the past, like during the Bo Ryan era, occasionally he would have a team that, you know, wasn't tremendously talented, but you could count on them to do certain things. They could defend really well. They were gritty. I just don't even see those elements in this team. They're just, they're very unimpressive to me. But they get placed in Milwaukee. So a three seed gets home court for the first two rounds. Not sure I like that move. You want to make them a three, fine. I think you send them to another region. The committee didn't do that. They gave them that placement. And then you look at what they're what they're in for. So they play Colgate in the first game. You assume they get past Colgate. They would then await the winner of LSU and Iowa State. LSU is a six seed who just fired their coach. Will Wade. <laughs> What, is that a bad sign? <laughs> now, maybe people think there's a Steve Fisher uh, Magicians Act in 1989 uh, in the Wings with LSU, but I'm not among them. I think it's going to be tough for LSU, uh, who was not a great team anyway, but without their head coach, that's tough. Against an Iowa State team that looked okay good. early on, but have faded hard. Yeah, you may have. I, I don't know if you've seen much of them, but. I watched them play against Iowa and I, they didn't, they were. Yeah. I, did, I don't, I don't like them. Arguably their best player is Isaiah Brockington, who was a transfer from Penn state who was, uh, was good at Penn state, but didn't put up anywhere near the numbers he did at Iowa state this year. And I think it's in part because Iowa state needed, just needed somebody to take those shots. So to me, Wisconsin got a flat out gift into the sweet 16 and one that I'm not sure they earned. In fact, I'm positive they didn't earn it. <laughs> Um, unless people are really impressed with the fact that they ended up tying for the Big Ten regular season title because they couldn't beat Nebraska at home. Nebraska was hot at the end of the season. Yeah. They were really good. I mean, it, part joking, but actually part serious. They they probably played as to up to their maximum potential the last bit of the season. I, I wouldn't disagree with you there, but then it sort of begs the question, okay, so what's yeah, well, potential? And by the way, they were missing yeah. Bryce McGowan's in that game too. If people want to cry right, about exactly, Johnny yeah. Davis out the second half, they didn't have their best offensive player. And they, if you're Wisconsin, Johnny Davis should know you have to win that game, and they didn't. And then we saw Michigan State handle them in the Big Ten tournament. I think that is the reality of Wisconsin. But because of the way this thing was was plotted out, I think they're going to the Sweet Sixteen. Um, Auburn has had a really good year. But and they have um, they have a player in Jabari Smith. Uh, those of you who maybe don't get to see much SEC basketball. He's a six ten freshman who is in the mix to be the number one overall pick in the draft this year. He's that good. Just a, an incredibly gifted offensive player. Um, they're not exactly the same guy, but imagine this is a rough picture. Imagine Keegan Murray with two more inches. That's kind of Jabari Smith. He has that kind of versatility to him. Auburn's a very good offensive team. The one area I sort of question them is at point guard. Their, their point guard is 
I think he's listed at 5'9", but he may not even be any taller than 5'7". A kid from Detroit named Wendell Green, who started at Eastern Kentucky, had a great year last year, and then decided to transfer up into the big leagues. And he's been impressive at times for Auburn, but I don't always love his decision-making, and I really don't like him on the defensive end. So I wonder about Auburn. Um, If it would be an Auburn-Wisconsin matchup in the Sweet 16, Auburn's got a lot, lot, lot more talent. But if you're Wisconsin, I guess you could go on a win and a prayer with the fact that you have Johnny Davis and maybe you just muck it up enough for Auburn and they don't like having to play a Wisconsin-style game and it's easier for a slower-paced team to control a faster paced team than vice versa. Generally, maybe that's the ticket. I'm going to pick Auburn though, because again, I, I just refuse to believe that this Wisconsin team can get to an elite eight. They, they are not that good. They don't deserve it. And then if it's, <laughs> if it's Kansas and Auburn, I, I, I don't think it's a great Kansas team, but I'd probably pick Kansas. So you're, so we, I think we're, at the for the final four we have you've picked arizona right yeah out of the the south and ucla or kentucky i can't remember was three it? i have i have two one seeds a four seed um in ucla and then uh or, or maybe no i think i picked kentucky you, so a two seed so three yeah. and then gonzaga so three ones and a two i'm really going out on yeah and, and that's probably yeah. a huge error because of what we said at the outset where this, yeah, but I I just, I can't, I can't identify the lesser seeded team that I think, Oh, wow. They really got it wrong with this team. They're set to go on a run. Somebody's probably going to do that. I just don't know who that somebody is. And so I think this, this points to your impression of the big 10 this season where it's just not, we don't have any elite teams or teams that really feel certainly none that you feel confident that are going to make a deep run. I, and I would, I will just say this as someone who has watched every, I've watched every Michigan state game. I attend all the home games uh, and, and I've watched every Iowa game in, except the last 10 minutes of the, when they played Michigan state, cause I just could not watch <laughs> more of that game. I had to uh, that this Iowa team is very different than the, the previous Iowa teams. And I know in the metrics, their defenses look a whole lot better, but they are watching them play, especially over the last, let's say 10 games where they look like a different team. Now that Bohannon's hitting the threes, it totally, and he's moved to point guard. They have totally changed as far offensively. They're much smoother and they get more shots up and they get more threes, probably because Bohannon's able to sort of pick his spots. Uh, they have enough guys who cause, they just have like a lot of length and athleticism that they don't normally have. And I feel that the, with both Murray's playing, especially, I mean, we saw in the, the big 10 tournament game against Purdue, they had 13 steals and that, yeah, Purdue has some creative ways of throwing it away uh, with Travion Williams, um, but I do think that they were they were really impressive in that in that they can cause just enough disruption on defense to get their break going and to score some points. So they have to hit the shoot their shots when they don't hit their shots. You know they they trail, but you could you saw them even trailing both Rutgers and Purdue. You never felt like at least I didn't feel like they were really out of the games, even though they're down eight points. Is you know that's like three possessions or three Keegan Murray threes, and before you know it, within one minute they're back, and so. In a in a field that's kind of weak, I actually am probably going to pick Iowa, which I I never pick Iowa to get beyond this because they always disappoint beyond the Sweet Sixteen. I I think they have a chance, and that's 
of course, just because I have a little bit of bias watching them. A well, bunch, but the, the other, I think there's a possibility. The other thing I would, I think everything you've said is true. They have been a little better defensively. I still, I just don't, I, I can't let myself get seduced into thinking that Fran McCaffrey, you know what Fran McCaffrey should really do. Fran McCaffrey should take a page out of John Beeline's book and say, all right, I can't get this right defensively. I'm going to go bring in an assistant who can. That was a tremendously gutsy move by John Beeline to do that. And it ended up making Michigan a much tougher team to deal with down the back end of his run there because they could beat you both ends of the court. Um, That's what I think, Fran, I don't know if Fran McCaffrey – if his ego or whatever will allow him to do that. Well, that's what I would hope he would do if I was an Iowa fan. All that said, they are clearly the hottest team by far in the big 10 right now. That's true. That would probably worry me a little bit if I were an Iowa fan, because sometimes you peak too soon and yeah, you can't sustain. You could make an argument that, well, how can they play any better than they've played in the last three, four weeks? They probably can't. And are they likely to even sustain that? That's another question. On the upside, when you have one of the best offensive players, best players, period, in America, as they do, sometimes that's enough. And that guy can carry you. I just, to me, the the big one, the big test will be if they get Providence in that second round game. Because to me, Providence is exactly the type of team that historically – has just kind of chewed up Fran McCaffrey teams, but maybe this. Would you say they're like? Would you say they're like um, Rutgers? Would be a Big Ten equivalent where they just kind of physical not, and give yeah, them- not too dissimilar to that. A lot of East Coast junkyard dog type guys. Yeah, it's it's that they're they're not pretty. They're very very far from pretty, but they're effective and and I think they're the type of team historically that you don't want to see if you're Fran McCaffrey, but. You know, with the Big Ten this year, as you say, everybody's flawed. Purdue was the team that should have been great, but never got it together defensively, and so they're not. Illinois, on paper, has everything you'd want, and they look like the most balanced team, and they have a great player in there, two great players, because I think Trent Frazier is a great player, and Kofi Coburn is obviously unstoppable at times, but I think there's a, a psychological fragility in that program that I just don't buy. I don't buy what they're selling. I think Brad Underwood, every time he opens his mouth, he says something that makes me think this guy does not get it. You know, most recently, (laughs) coming out of the Big Ten tournament, they lost to Indiana in the quarters, and he was quoted as saying, well, you know, I'm actually not, words, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not that disappointed that we lost because last year we stayed in this thing the whole way and won it, and then we were tired, and that cost us against Loyola. Well, Loyola was their second game, not their first. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And right. even if you believe that's true, you don't say that. You don't say that so your team hears it. I've never, you know, people used to speculate that Tom Izzo didn't care about the Big Ten tournament for about the first ten years of the event's existence, and that might have been true. But I never heard Izzo say anything other than we want to win every game we play which is what you should say. That, that's like the 90th thing I've heard Brad Underwood say over the last two years that's made me think this guy is not where he needs to be. And so thus, neither is his program. And then and then Wisconsin, 
I mean, come on, we've been talking about it. They they just do not have the horsepower to make a, a serious run. They got gifted a spot in the Sweet 16, most likely by this draw, but they're not that good. And so then, yeah, you go to Iowa. If you were to tell me that Iowa would have the longest run of any Big Ten team, I guess it wouldn't shock me, mostly because I'm just not that sold on anybody in the Big Ten. Yeah. It's possible. Right. I, I think it... And I think this just this highlights the fact that I think it's really it's going to be totally unpredictable. It's going to depend really on who gets hot or who can maintain their their uh, their run, like Iowa in this case. So I know there are about three really um, depressed Delaware Hens fans who are listening to this podcast right now. They're like, I can't believe he doesn't believe in our team beating Villanova and making it. So who do you think of those four? I mean, who do you think who do you have as winning the whole thing? Then? And I always pick, so for me, I always pick the team that I would dislike or that I dislike the most because they always seem to win. <laughs> and so I, I, I probably would have Kentucky winning just because, you know, um, there's something just because I, they bother me and, and they, they, you're just like, this team shouldn't be good. But the one thing I'll say is that he's able to get, um, he's able to get guys play who are great offensive players. I think when they're coming to the school, he gets them play defense when they have like almost no time together. It's pretty impressive that. What, say what you will about their sort of their recruitment and their strategy for getting players. I think that's very impressive how he pulls it off. One hundred percent agree. Uh, John, people accuse John Calipari of being a roll out balls guy, and offensively, there may be some truth to that. Kentucky, Kentucky ebbs and flows offensively, largely based on the pure talent that they have, which despite the fact they have highly rated recruiting classes every year does not mean it's always the same because classes vary from year to year and how good the top end guys are, but they have been good for the most part during his tenure, mostly because of what they do on the defensive end. And for him year after year to get completely different groups of guys to buy into that and execute it, that is remarkable. Kay doesn't do that. Mike, nope. people have probably forgotten by now. Mike Shashevsky used to be a great defensive coach. He has not been in the one and done era. His teams have largely been terrible by Duke standards defensively. Uh, that has not been the case with Kentucky. John Calipari does it uh, year after year, last year being an exception, but uh, that's rare. And, and I do think I'm torn, and it would be a semifinal matchup the way the brackets are laid out but I'm really torn by Gonzaga or Kentucky and I might be there with you. I might be inclined to pick Kentucky. There's just, there's just something rolling around in my brain that has me thinking this might be Kentucky's year. So let's go with that. Well, Let's hope not. Right. I don't (laughs) want them to win. No, I know. It's great. So um, I guess I'm really looking forward to things. I am super excited always every time this year. And I think the best thing about this tournament, and we'll get into the Michigan State game to, uh, to, uh, in the future here, but I love the fact that it's the last game on Friday because I don't know how you are. When Michigan State bows out of the tournament, I really lose a lot of interest for a little bit, for like a day or a couple of days. And so it really helps that if things don't go well for them on Friday night, Friday night, that I still can enjoy the first round, which is absolutely the best, the best, uh, the best day, the best two days of, the, of the, the tournament, for sure, you know, with all the crazy upsets and the 14 seeds and the 15 seeds playing it close or whatever games you, you know, you never care about Georgia State, except, you know, in the this time. So that's what I always look forward to. And I'm, I'm very appreciative that we're the last game. On Me too. Friday. I'm right there with you. I go back to, if I'm remembering correctly, in 16, 
the Middle Tennessee State game, I believe, was either in the first or second window on Thursday. Yeah. Completely ruined that weekend for me. I, I, oh, sure. Because, yeah, because you expected a deep run, yeah, right? That wasn't sure, just like you're right? hoping for a win. You're like, oh, we're going to the Sweet 16 but for whatever, sure. But whatever the, the prognostication is, a reasonable expectation for Michigan State, you don't want basketball Christmas ruined by, by an early out. So I'm 100% with you on that as well. Um, I, I am glad they got that window. Yeah, it's going to be a late night. And boy, we've seen some of the beat writers moaning about it, which absolutely no one in America has any sympathy for, and rightly so, <laughs> that they have to do their jobs a little late. But uh, from my perspective, I'm all for it because it, it allows, at the very least, it allows you Thursday and the afternoon sessions and Friday to view it in a relaxed state of mind, right? To just enjoy it for what it, oh yes and not have that tension of all oh, the games looming or god the games here we got to win in order for me to care about this the rest of the way so yeah i think it was fortuitous yeah it, I, to the to that point when i was at the big 10 tournament this weekend we're cheering for two teams we're cheering for iowa for my wife and then um also michigan state and so it was the other games were a lot of fun because you could just sit back and you could be invested in the games you could be invested in watching indiana pull off that and Impop, improbable up, yeah. upset over Michigan, you know, could that comeback and you could really, you know, of course a lot of Hoosier fans, but that was a lot of fun and it was stress-free, right? You could really just enjoy, enjoy the basketball and it was, you know, high level basketball. And so that's the nice thing about the tournament. If a bad game's bad, you can usually switch to another one on the first, the first day. And yeah. day. So, well, uh, I think we'll wrap it up here for the the bracket show. Hopefully everyone enjoy that and you've waved, wagered some money and you, if you win some money, you're welcome to send it our <laughs> way. But go ahead and uh, we'll meet you in just a day or so. We'll come back with the Davidson pre pregame where Michigan State, the seven seed, takes on number 10 Davidson. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.